This conversation is brought to you in part by Produce Careers with promotional consideration from Calavo Growers and Volcano Produce. Hey everybody, how you doing today? Welcome, glad you're here hanging out on Top Conversations all over this big planet of ours, this big rotating rock. I appreciate you being here, give us your time and consideration. I have somebody here today that I'm excited about. This is going to be a fun conversation. This cat is doing some big things in a big way, and I'm looking forward to sharing his journey and what he's about. He's a filmmaker, he's a writer, he's a farmer, he's helping others change the world. He's an ag vocat, which I can't wait to get into. He's the owner-operator of Brandywine Creek Farms. He's known as the punk rock farmer. We're going to find out what that's all about, too. Please, everybody, give it up and welcome Jonathan Lauer. Dude, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, man. I appreciate you taking time out of... Uh, this cold winter, uh, cold winter months and hanging out for me for a little while and telling people what you're up to. Cause you, you came to me via my team and they're huge fans of yours. And they're like, you gotta check this guy out. So I started checking out what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're about. It's like, I'm loving this, man. I'm loving what this guy's doing. He's, he's stirring up the pot. He's having hard conversations. He's saying things to make people think I'm like, this guy's got to get on the platform with me. I'm digging this. So I appreciate you being here and hanging out. Like I do with everybody, brother, I, I always ask everybody to kind of give their little journey in bio. I, I could read it, but it sounds so god darn campy when I do it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think it's better coming from your heart than mine anyways. So if you wouldn't mind, just give everybody a quick little 411 and we'll dive in and make this bad boy flow. Well, I'm uh, I'm a proud born and raised Hoosier. Uh, I, I farm here in central Indiana. Um, I'm our farm is located about 30 miles east of Indianapolis. Uh, in 2016, I, I transformed my, we had a large scale vegetable production farm and we flipped that and uh, turned it into a nonprofit. And I got into hunger advocacy. Uh, I was actually pretty angry seeing the state in which our country's in versus what we do as farmers. Um, something I tell people all the time, there, the hunger problem has been solved and it's been solved by, by us American farmers. Uh, we grow enough food to feed the planet three times over, yet we still have hungry people in this country. And there's got to be a, uh, there's got to be something to that. It's logistics, it's politics, it's everything else. And the people it's who suffer are, are going hungry. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, you know, I'm going to get into this and certainly a part of the conversation I want to have with you, but I got to come alongside what you said. You know, quite frankly, brother, we just do not value food in this country like we should. We have been taught that simple is easy and easy is good. And it doesn't matter what the short game or the long game is. It's just like about that convenience. And it is a death sentence in a lot of ways to our country. And I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that with you a little bit. Before I do, we every you know, got to get to the main question, though. Question number one, I got to throw at you. All right. How'd you get the name Punk Rock Farmer? Because it's just not right. like something you woke up one day and go, you know, hey, honey, I'm going <laughs> with this. It don't work that way. Yeah, it came that, to you 100 percent positive. I don't know how punk that would be to name yourself that. No, exactly. uh, actually, I, I, I'm pretty proud of uh, who, who decided to bestow that on me. It was bestowed on me by grade schoolers in the inner city of Indianapolis. Uh, there was a, a friend of mine runs an amazing community center. Um, he was brought in to help shut the community center down. And in the course of two years, he revitalized it. And he was trying to get an urban farm or urban garden going. And he kept dealing with, you know, an extension office and people from the mayor's office. And people were talking about feasibility studies. They were talking about, you know, what we need to do to get it going. And he asked me, he said, 
how, how feasible is this? I said, well, do you have soil tests? And he said, yeah. And I looked at him. I said, when do you want to plant? And he goes, I'd like to plant this spring. And I said, well, then I'll get my equipment out here. And we took two and a half acres. Um, he told me there'd be a lot of kids there from, from the inner city that had never seen a, a tractor or anything like that. And uh, so I brought out two tractors, one of which had no business on two acres because it was too big. But we wanted the kids to see it. Yeah, it looked um, cool. It could have it, it turned that ground over in, <laughs> in, in 20 minutes. But we... we decided to make it something. So we pulled up in our big diesel trucks. Um, and we were, of course, we were playing, we were actually playing Misfits. The Misfits were playing over the radio. And uh, I have longer hair, but my, I keep the sides of my hair short. So long, frizzy hair. And I was wearing a Misfits shirt, the sleeves cut off, but I had on jeans and, and boots. So the kids were kind of like, it's kind of different. You know, they expect a farmer to show up in flannels and whatever else. Um, and they started calling me the punk rock farmer. Well, there was a reporter there covering the story and she actually ran with that. And she was an Indianapolis star reporter and it made the front page of the Indianapolis star on Thanksgiving, but the AP picked it up. And it also made the front page of the US, USA Today that Thanksgiving weekend. Well, so uh, there are quite a few people found out about it. Somebody had made the Facebook page, kind of following me. And then she said, hey, there's a lot of people starting to follow this. You guys should really maybe think about taking it over and running a nonprofit farm, Brandywine Creek Farms, a faith-based organization. There were things as the executive director that I couldn't say, <laughs> but there were things at the punk rock farmer that I could. Yeah. So I used that platform to, to express how I really felt. And, you know, it's, it's been a great journey because it's taken me around the country and a lot of people that I have no business meeting and rubbing shoulders with, I've been able to do so. So I love it, dude. I think it's a great story. And, and since you didn't do it yourself, then you can't get in trouble. Like your mom's not going to get mad at you for saying coming up with that. That's not going to be a right. bad one. You're right. right. You, I mean, yeah, you got the, you check the boxes to cover your ass. I love that. Yep. <laughs> I absolutely yep. love it. Dude, this is, that's great. I, and I can only imagine that the kids, and, and once that stuck with the kids, I could just in my own eyes, mind, see them, how happy they were they came up with that name. Just put the, it doesn't matter how big the tractor was at that point. Naming you the punk rock farmer probably was the biggest part of the day, if I was guessing. Right. Oh, absolutely. I would absolutely. think so. It's super cool. Well, let's get into it a little bit. I want to talk about your farming because it's it's unique in what you're doing. I want to kind of back it up a little bit. You started growing, uh, you're farming organically back in 2012, and then you converted back to conventional ag. So I guess got to ask, you know, why did you switch back a so little bit? And I, was, I, was I was conventional and okay. I switched organic in 2012. Well, okay. And then you switch back to conventional farming later on? Yes. Right on. Okay. So I got to ask, you know, why, why, why the switchback, but also too, if you wouldn't mind, tell us what you're growing today too, so we can frame that up for everybody. So uh, we currently, we're, we're actually trans transitioning into livestock, going very livestock heavy. Um, nice. And we were, we were primarily a tomato and melon grower. Okay. Um, but we would grow, well, for us, what we considered on the smaller scale was peppers, zucchini and cucumbers um we do like six acres of, of of cucumbers and i don't really know acreages on some of the plants we just go by plant count but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, with with uh 
with like our peppers, we, we would typically do between 100,000 and 164,000 stands. That'll keep you hopping. That'll keep you hopping. Uh, bell peppers. Uh, but with tomatoes, we were typically planting uh, upwards of 800,000 fresh market plants. Wow. So we had, we had a labor force of 30 people to keep that going. So Well, yeah. And, and all those commodities, it's like you go look at them on a Tuesday. It's like, oh, they're getting ready. And you wake up Wednesday, like, oh, shit, they're yeah. already gone. It's like we got yeah. a day behind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah I can relate to that. that. Yeah. People don't understand is that, you know, as you have fruit setting, you have fruit that's getting ready to set. And once you start picking, you know, I don't know if there's true science behind it, but once you start picking, you know, it's like the plants, e e even your, even your hybrids, you know, we grow a lot of celebrities and those seem to still throw <laughs> a couple of pounds of tomatoes every week, even after their initial set. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just they they keep coming. I'm telling you, like I said, that those 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 fruits and veg are a challenge. I mean, because I know guys that are doing the same thing. And it's just like, yeah, it was we thought it was going great, and then all of a sudden, the plants decided to blow up on us. And it, oh, absolutely, I, absolutely. So, so, talk to me a little bit about you know why you changed um, you know from being so, a for profit farm to a non profit organization. So we didn't have a plan on changing to mm -hmm. a non profit organization. That was never in our that was never in our vision. The vision was we were just going to take one year and uh, it initially started out as we were going to do a couple of acres. And then right. the more we kind of researched hunger that winter and I started talking to food banks and soup kitchens and community centers and fresh food was always an issue. They never had it. Nope. So I decided to, we decided to take one year and dedicate the full force of the farm to, seeing how big of a dent we could put into hunger. Um, our goal was to grow a half a million pounds uh, of produce that first year to donate. Wow. And we actually, we missed our goal by, uh, I think, uh, 50,000 pounds, 50 or 60,000 pounds. Uh, right, right. We were close, but not quite there. So yeah, that's awesome. And then so, we, go ahead. we had a we had a we had a guy that read about us in the Huffington Post, no less, out of Massachusetts that came. He came out and wanted to tour the farm. He had a bodyguard. If that tells you the kind of money this wow. dude had, um, I like it. And wanted to uh, know how he could help us become a a for profit or a nonprofit to continue doing this and. He, he saw that we were educating people at the farm as well. And uh, he, he said, if you can come up with a model, I would like to help fund it. And um, from there, we did. We hired an attorney. He did all the nonprofit stuff. And sure, we became a nonprofit farm. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. At Produce Careers, we are in the people business. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations as your trusted executive search firm for the fresh produce, food processing, and agribusiness industries, we focus on outcomes. With over 80 years of combined industry expertise, with our global networks, we have the tools and the skills to identify top talent for your organization's strategic hiring needs. Our relationship-driven approach and proven recruitment process deliver the right candidates at the right time. At Produce Careers, we know each hire is an investment whether you're looking for the perfect candidate or searching for your next challenge, 
Call or email us today and let us partner with you. Wow. So how, so, I mean, are you, so you solely surviving now, you know, financially based on donations? You just, I mean, no, actually, actually I do a lot of things on this. I'm as as an advocate, I do speaking engagements. I sure I do stuff like that. Um, I help a lot of people with media, not just, not just, uh, not just social media. I help them in the realm of uh, the media world, especially if they're in an industry, anybody in livestock, there, right, there's, right. there, media can be hard on them at times. So oh, uh, I, I'm used as a consultant quite often on, on that, on that front. So yeah, in today's, today's world, you got to have a sidearm to navigate the media. I think in a lot of yeah. ways, you don't know who's coming, where they're coming from. Actually, we have, we have actually kind of ceased our nonprofit work operations simply because running a farm with a board is difficult wanting to do wanting to do things to actually help people but waiting on funding to come in and things like that that's also difficult but my punk farmer media side uh with the filmmaking uh working consulting has actually really helped me able to to do things that we can just pay for it ourselves. We don't have to I love it. That way. And I find that we're more effective that way. Dude, I you love know? it. I mean, what a great. I, yeah, I have a lot of people contact me all the time. Hey, how do I start a nonprofit farm? My very first question I ask them is, Are you a farm? And if the answer is <laughs> no, I tell them, Don't do it. I, I, I'm, yeah. not telling, I'm not trying to discourage them or be a gatekeeper, but you've got to be, you've got to know what you're doing when it comes to this type of stuff. You've got 100%. to, you, you just can't. Now, if you're going to do a community garden, that's one thing, but it's another thing. If you know, I had a guy contact me out of Tennessee that says, well, I got 60 acres. I'd like to turn it all into this. Okay. Do you farm? No. Can you hire a farm? Well, I was just going to work off a volunteer basis. No, that doesn't work because volunteers have they like when you ask for volunteers on Facebook, they like to like that. They're like, that's great. I like it. But as far as them showing up, you know, for every one that liked or for every hundred that likes it, two might show up. So. Yeah, if that. And they got to and they got to leave by 10. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, well, look, it's a great look, dude. It's a great side hustle. There's no two ways about it. You're doing things such for such the right reason. But you're right. This is the hardest job on the planet, man. And I don't think you're not discouraging anybody. A dose of reality. You know, people's like, oh, I can plant, you know, look, I planted some some Gerber daisies in my yard. I'm <laughs> looking at them grow. It's like, it ain't the same yep. thing at scale. It ain't the same thing. It's not the same thing. We have, a, you know, a 500 yard furrow. It's just, it's a whole different world than how to embrace. And to your point, you know, we need more of you out there. We need more folks that want to do what people are coming to you, but they need to be successful at it. Otherwise, it just doesn't move the ball down the field, right? It's just- Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally- Well, you know, one of the cool things that you do, and I and I just read, you know, we touched on it before we flipped the cameras, I started recording. Talk a little bit about the jobs that you've created and who is filling those jobs, because this is one of those things when I started getting into what you're all about. It's like, I love this, man. This is just, this is more of what we need to uplift our global community. Well, I, I can tell you that being a the, the lack of training out there for, for folks that, you know, that college is just not for them. That's just yeah. the way it is, you know. And, uh, you know, I had a kid that wanted to, that thought about becoming a welder. So, you know, 
Was he at risk? Mm. All kids are at risk at a certain point, but Absolutely. you know, he was definitely he was definitely going down a road that you know running into trouble every now and then. Um, and so I said that, that I'd show him how how to weld as much as I knew. You know, I'm I'm no master welder. I'm, I'm a farm welder. I make sure that it holds. It's not pretty, but it holds. Chisel works. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that was enough to get him so interested in it that he went on to pursue, you know, he, he went through a course here called Ivy Tech, um, went on to, uh, he actually began work as a welder and mm -hmm. started doing some fabricating and now works at a fabricating shop for uh, higher end cars, I guess, uh, the, the more custom stuff. Um, sure. I had a kid that was, and rough shape had never crossed the line to get a felony, but he had a couple of misdemeanors and a couple of things. And his dream was to, uh, and he grew up and this kid grew up rough. He really did. Um, dad wasn't around a whole lot. You know, mom was bouncing from guy to guy, but he kept, he, he, he had one of those, he was, he had, uh, he had a lot of empathy, you know, even though he might be in a bad way, he made sure that people around him that were having a bad day at work, you know, he, he went out of his way to, to help and he was constantly wanting to learn and this and that. And his dream job was to become a deputy sheriff. And I, wow. was, just like, I was like, you know, in all honesty, because of the run-ins he had had, I didn't know what was going to happen. And he had went to his own county sheriff and talked to him. And the county sheriff said if he could get some letters of recommendation, he would consider putting him in through the next hiring process. So I wrote a page long letter of recommendation for him. A judge wrote a letter of recommendation for him, and he ended up becoming a, a Henry County Sheriff's deputy. So, no kidding. Uh, which now I think he's since left that and got hired on to a bigger department. So that's so yeah. cool. Like, and you know, He's the kind of cop that I want to see as cops. You know, he, he's the kind of guy that's going to do whatever he can to make sure whatever kind of bad day you're happening isn't as bad as it could be. So 100 percent. Well, you know, you said something I got it, you know, and I, I I love what you just said. He had dreams and every kid some way or another has dreams. And the problem is, is that sometimes life, their choices, their path screw those dreams up, but it doesn't mean those dreams don't exist. And to be able to be in a place where you can uplift it, you know, today's youth and give them that little push or that little, you know, kick in the chonies, whatever they need at the moment, you know, to kind of get them a little more grounded and, and just remember that that dream, you know, it's got so much potential for them. I, I commend you, dude. I think that's phenomenal. I really do. I mean, that's yeah. a big, it's a big lift, but man, what a rewarding one for you to be able to look back and think, you know, a, a, I can speed through the county now because he's not going to write me a ticket. I get that. But nonetheless, but nonetheless, you know, still to be able to look back and see what diff a difference you made because you invested in him and pushed that dream. That's powerful, dude. It's super powerful. Right. right. Yeah, it's super. Talk a little bit, too, if you wouldn't about, you know, I know you're really active in the urban farming thing. You kind of touched on it earlier as we're getting into it. I don't want to like I don't want to gloss that over because I think that, you know, from what I've understood and what you're doing, you know, you're passing along a lot of knowledge out there. You're helping others you know, grow through the farming aspect. And I know that you're working with several different things. If you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit, it'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, just, well, without, so I would go into the, I would go to places that were doing urban farming already. And a lot right. of times they were using, whether it was their organic methods or conventional methods, they were using methods that just weren't working well. 
Um, right. There was one. There was one that I went to, and just out of food safety alone, uh, <laughs> she she actually would make this. The, the girl that ran it, um, she would make something that she called chicken manure tea. So she would Delish. soak chicken manure, and uh, she would just soak her chicken manure. Till it was similar to how we would put, you know, manure on a field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She would strain it, but then she would use it as a foliar spray on whole food crops like tomatoes and peppers and stuff like that. And I'm just like, that's just a food poisoning disaster. That's not good. And I just (laughs) simply recommended, I said, if you're going to do this, this is probably good stuff, but maybe, maybe run drip irrigation and run it to the roots. Right. And then you don't have to worry about it. And she said that. And that's the thing where people, I, I've never, I, I was an organic farmer, so I, I have real expectations of what organic farming is. And she said, well, my chickens are fed an organic diet, so therefore they don't have the pathogens in their manure that <laughs> would be bad for people. And I'm like, well, they probably have more because they're fed that diet and not saying that that's bad it's just their their diet's more complex you know right the reason they're bigger and fatter is because (laughs) of what you are feeding them and yeah it's not cattle (laughs) you know it's not a horse it's a chicken their their manure is known to host a a slurry of 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 package it's got a cootie or two (laughs) (laughs) it's got a cooter or two um, so it was be, being able to do stuff like that, being able to show them that when they're looking in a gardening book and they're telling them how far to place their tomatoes, but they're on limited space, I would actually show them how to do intensive agriculture. Right. And that way, I mean, sometimes tripling their yields because of, of how they how they chose to grow, um, just telling them that your inputs need to be a little bit higher. Um I think that's what we do at scale on our farm. So that's one of the beautiful things about it. Uh, The, the sometimes urban farming, you know, I I don't want to use the word hipster, but I will. The hipsters sometimes get in the way of like the actual people that need help. And we, we, uh, we worked, we, we actually had, uh, there was a big nonprofit farm. They, they poured almost a million dollars into this thing. And, they couldn't even keep their chickens alive. Uh, they planted 40 apple, 40 or 50 apple trees and they all died. Um, but they wrote an amazing business plan. They wrote an amazing business plan. And the whole goal was to bring, uh, women that were formerly incarcerated and have them be able to make a living by selling the, the, the crops at local farmers markets. The problem was, is they weren't growing it. They weren't growing anything. They absolutely, if you're going to run an organic operation, you've got to have people that are ready to go out there and cultivate and keep the weed suppression down, you know, and actually know what you're doing and know what to pick for market and this and that. And we had a, I had a group that was helping fund them, asked me to write, you know, to look at it and, and give my, opinion and this was about food insecurity so i don't care about hurting people's feelings when we're talking about hungry people mm-hmm. you know, or feelings more so their pride i'm just saying well none of these people have any agricultural experience they've got 15 acres that they're trying to produce 
things on. Everything they're doing is dying. And the farmer's market model is not, the farmer's market model to me is still a side hustle. That's, that's not, that, that, that was very hard for us as a large scale farm to maintain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a point where if you're small enough, it works for you. Yeah. But there's that middle ground where they were at, where it just, they had too many mouths to feed. They weren't producing enough and they just yeah, certainly really needed to, they, they needed to change how they looked. Well, it ended up going belly up and, there was almost a million and a half dollars spent on that. It could have been put into other initiatives that missed out because yeah. it was driven based on, you know, this is a woman ran farm. That, that was the worst part for me. They were like, this is a woman ran farm for formerly incarcerated women. And I'm like, well, I can, I can give you the names about, of about 30 women farmers or female farmers that would have jumped at the chance to do this. And they would have, succeeded it, it would have been a big deal they would have worked right but instead you went with these people that came from the tech industry and that's where they were from they were from the tech industry you know one one of the girls was talking to me i was waiting for her to when i was explaining to her how to do this and that you know i was waiting for her to say well i've got an app for that you know because <laughs> there's not an app for everything in agriculture unfortunately and and that's the thing. And that's what the frustrating part was for me is that there were there, there were women of color who were bypassed over this in their own city that could have taken taken that and made it very successful. But yeah, instead, it's like, it's like they're farming a soundbite. That, that's what it was. It was all it was it was all virtue signaling. None of it was was really about helping the problem so because yeah. if it was there were people that were on standby ready to do it well you know look ag, ag has got so much airwaves now and so much investment money coming especially when you think about from the tech side if you take a look at some of the people yep. that are involved these days it's like you know i've sat in the room with guys that were from tesla and google and yahoo and this and they're farmers now and it's like okay cool let's see how that you know let's good luck i hope you know we want to see it we got to keep feeding the planet but let's see where this right. thing takes you yeah no, that's important but but what a great part of that journey, though, for you, though, to be able to have that experience, share what you thought, where it could go. And, you know, I'm certainly I'm sure that probably reinforced some of your belief in urban farming in some ways, too. Like, yeah, what not well, to do? Like, let's not do that again, kids. Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take the examples that these other people are already doing yeah. and go off a model that works. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, look, you, you're you call yourself an ag kit, which I think is great. So tell me a little bit what that means to you. And I want to get into some issues about out, it's out there in the farming, which I know you're into and I am, too. So this will be I'm looking forward to this. So to me, an advocate is someone who I, I, I mean, I just advocate for farming. And right. when I say that, I don't I don't put labels on farming. If you're an organic farmer, I'm going to advocate for you. If you're a conventional farmer, livestock, whatever it might be. You know, as long as you're following the tenets of keeping the planet, you know, tending your ground, make, making your, your uh, trying to always improve your environment, not take from it. Um, a lot of people say farmers are the first conservationists, you know, and mm -hmm. if, if you're farming wrong, not only are you working against the planet, you're also working against yourself. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to put yourself out of business eventually. So... <laughs> Um, yeah. But I, I, just advocating in general for for ag, especially in this world of 
you know, I go to the grocery store and I see labels on everything. And I mean, the labels are getting insane, you know? I mean, one of the, I mean, there was a chick, a new chicken thing. And I jokingly said to the guy behind the counter, uh, I think it, it had said humanely raised. They actually had a label for sunlight, you know, which, okay. Um, but it was never fed antibiotics, uh, antibiotic free. Right. Um, the chicken was on a vegetarian diet. They, they made sure they let me know that, which they were probably miserable because chickens are omnivores. But, uh, you know, all these things. And I jokingly said to the guy, I said, do you have verbally abused chicken? I want chicken that's been verbally abused by, by the farmer. And he just kind of looked at me funny, like almost like I was half serious. But and I was just because all these labels are all virtue signaling because I've been to these farms, you know, right. I know this farm checks this box, this box and this box so it can get that label. And this farm. And the thing is. The farmers, the actual farmers are the ones who are doing it. They're trying as hard as they can. It's the big corporations that are requiring them to check all these boxes. The farmer's just trying to make his living from the earth like he's like they've done for thousands of years. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you know, it, it is um, it, it's a it's it's amazing to me how packaging intensive the industry is. When I started a thousand years ago, like there were no. POU, UPC code numbers for the organic space. We bought them all and, and had to go through the filling out countless pages of paperwork back then to make it happen and then overwrap everything and blah, 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 which is, you know, crazy in itself that you would take a category like organics and then overpackage it. That seems to kind of be like, I don't know, it just, it's like eating French fries and drinking a Diet Coke, hoping you're not getting any calories, right? Right. It just right, doesn't exactly. work. But, but you're right. We've, we've gotten to the point where because I, as I said earlier on in our, in our conversations, we don't value our food as much as we need to. And so we drive these attributes in there to try to get some kind of value back because it's all about becoming cheaper, not becoming smarter, not become better at growing food and producing better food, cleaner food. You know, I say it all the time, work with mother nature, don't be mother nature. And our planet will do a hell of a good job together. Right. Yep. It's when we start yep. acting like mother nature is when we get completely effed up where the thing's going to go off the rails. Cause I'm telling you, I don't care how good you are. You are not going to decide what mother nature wants to do. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't. Typically when, when you try to guess what she's going to do on purpose, she'll do the exact opposite. So. Shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's been, she's been winning for millions of years. We've been trying to win for 150, 200 years. Right. And we yeah. take a look at agriculture, what agriculture was hundred plus 150 years ago to what agriculture is now. We've made a complete morph of what it is. I mean, some for the good, some for the bad. Let's be honest, right? Not everything that we're doing in agriculture is great, right? Um, but at the, you know, at the end of the day, I always say, and I think you would agree with me that you know, my first priority was always get somebody to go eat an apple. My second job was to convince you to eat the organic one. But if I got the first one right, I always had potential for the second one. If you right. can't get the first one right, we're all going uphill, right? And I think yep. that that's where we have to get our, our head wrapped around. So, you know, I know food insecurity is a big one, and I want to drill into that a little more, but I want to make sure I throw this question out to you. It's like, what are some of the big ag issues, you know, that you are passionate about? Some of the things that really, um, you know, that excite you, concern you, et cetera. So that excite me is that young people are starting to get more involved. Um, yeah. The, the concerns are some of them get information that aren't correct, uh, and that's something that we of course have to battle with. Um, but the thing is, I do know that when I bring them to the farm and show them, yeah, a lot of times that's, that's, you know, that's 
that works for me. Um, yeah. As far as like, I, I'll be honest, I'm very passionate about uh, protecting livestock farmers right now. You know, if you look at the news headlines and the, the, the narrative that the media is pushing big time, it's all about plant-based, yeah. you know, plant-based everything. And, you know, I, I grow, that's what I grow primarily, you know, right. and now I'm transitioning to, to livestock, but I don't think they realize, number one, the, the hypocrisy around a harmless diet with, with, uh, with being plant-based they they have no idea what, what we do as farmers to make sure that they get that perfect looking. And, and they, that's a lot of them. That's what they need. They want it to look like a textbook picture of a tomato or a cucumber. Right. Uh, and I, I, I'm seeing it. I mean, we're seeing legislation passed in States that, you know, 20 years ago, they would have been laughed out of the state house. Now they're being taken serious. And I would like to see that corrected. I mean, um, if you want to be a vegan, I'm one of those people. I, I have a farm manager that's a vegan. He doesn't say anything to anybody about it. Um, but at the same time, when you have people that are going on the farmer social media post and calling them murderers and rapists and all these kind of things, that gets old. I mean, calling somebody a murderer over an animal is that's just a little much to me um one of one of uh my friends was actually sent a picture of a hog hanging from a tree from by its wow. hoof as it's getting ready to get you know processed and it said 2018 underneath it and then next to it was the silhouette of a black man hanging from a tree and it said 18 you know 88 or something like that and i was just like wow i mean he was in of course he's you know being black he was infuriated that he would be compared to a hog or being compared to the suffering that his people went through to that of animal ag but at the same time the thing that bothered me the most is that they are co-opting real human tragedy and mm -hmm. putting that on 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 ranchers and dairymen and and people who farm a lot of which, especially in the South, are people of color. Right. And it's kind of disgusting and it's getting really old. And um, I, I like yeah. to point out the fact that as a, as a plant-based grower, I farm 113 acres. I will kill more sentient beings in a single growing season to protect the crops than, the, than you take 10 ranchers will in their lifetime. You know, and that's, you know, and then I'll have them say, well, I, I only eat organic. I said, well, if you eat organic, then that means everything that you're eating is grown by typically from an animal based product. That's how organic works. If it, you know, whether it's manure, blood, guts, fish, scales, right, you know, intestines, skin, fat, I mean, one of the one of the few organic herbicides that's out there is made from pelagronic acid, which comes from beef tallow. And when it's used, I mean, that's cows died for that stuff to be used, but they seem to gloss over that. They, they, well, yeah, they miss obviously that 
by, byproduct of the beef industry, right? For sure. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I have to go back to what you said first about the hog thing. I mean, that's incredibly aggressive, but I think too, it tells you the the unfortunate side. It shows you the unfortunate side of social media, where anybody can be whoever they want to be. They can be as they can be Tommy Tough Nuts that they want to be on social media. They would never stand face to face and say that. They would never hold that picture up in front of that farmer and say that to him. You know, it, social media is 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 a way for a lot of cowards out there to have a voice. And it's terribly unfortunate. It's, it's really it's it, it's really doing a disservice in a lot of ways. To, to your point, yeah. it's so you, you harmful. Have, yeah, you have no idea how many times I've had people like that come onto like my social media and just say the most awful things about me. And I just all, all I'd like to, I don't ever say it, but what I'd like to say to him is, you know, if we were standing here face to face, you wouldn't. Know I it. guarantee you, you wouldn't say that to me. No, they don't. They no. they cut they cut and run right and and right. Or they live under somebody else's name or they'll come up with a false name and log in. I mean, it's just, you know, it is what it is. It's exactly it's exactly what you don't. It's exactly what we don't talk enough about. Right. The impact of what that is and the fact that, you know, at the end of the day. This planet has been consuming animals and plants and fruits and vegetables and seafood and water and sunshine for way longer than any of us can count. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that it comes to a point where we have to have this appreciation for agriculture as a whole. And again, it goes back to how do we go value our food, right? And I think that's a lesson that we're not getting. And to my opinion, and I'm really a big proponent of this, and I push it all day, all the time, is we got to start working with our kids, right? We got to start working with the schools. We got to start putting lunches out there that aren't the fish sticks you and I got when we were kids, right? Okay. With tater tots that were, you know, were 8,000 calories of just, you know, cardiac arrest. And start putting real fish and start putting real food in front of these kids and teaching them that flavors matter and food matters and where it comes from. Because that's really how we're going to change, in my opinion, oh, moving oh, forward absolutely. in a lot of ways. I, I had a I had a school group here and they when they saw how watermelons and cantaloupes grew, they were shocked. And I was like, oh. And they said, but aren't they fruits? And I'm like, yeah. And then they said, well, fruits only grow in trees. Right. And I was like, wow, that's. And you know what? If. If you're that dis, you know, if you're that far from ag, you know, fruit grows in trees, apples grow in trees, citrus grows in trees. Why wouldn't right. watermelons and cantaloupe grow? Right. No, I agree. So watermelon trees would be super cool. I'd, I'd definitely do it. I would dig that. That'd be kind yeah. of cool to have. <laughs> you have a few stakes under those branches, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, it goes back, it goes back to, you know, us not putting the right value around our food system. Again, we've made it cheap, we've made it convenient. I think that there's this, this, you know, you're never going to see somebody at the retail sector say, you know, I have higher prices than my competition. That's just never going to be. So I don't care if you're selling TVs, you're selling cars, doesn't matter. You're never going to see that. And I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't believe that that is the right approach we should take for our food. Yeah. You want to argue about, you know, buying a Toyota Corolla all day, every day, you guys knock the shit out of each other, have a good time. But because we don't value our food, it allows these things, I think, to fester and to create this narrative. To your point, that it, it just becomes incredibly dangerous, you know. And I think you've excel- I think you've, you've you've illustrated that in some of these conversations that it is it is it is a dangerous time um, for a lot of things. And I just don't think food needs to be that. I really don't. No, and I, and there's and what something I I'm always having to say is I feel like there's room. It's a farm bureau. Farm bureau says it, but I don't know if they actually mean it. Um, and I love Farm Bureau, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I have to wonder, 
when you say that there's room for everybody, you need to show that there actually is room for everybody. As a scaled grower, is it hard for me to, to make my tomatoes at 80 cents a pound? It's not because I'm, I'm using economy of scale. Right. But not everybody can do that, but they're still growing a really good product. Yeah. And, you know, I think the more local you, you, you can purchase, you know, the, the whole hierarchy of good thing of, you know, first and foremost should be local. You know, that's, that's always going to be better and know how the farmer grows it, you know. Um, people come to my farm and they ask me why I'm not organic. Well, there's reasons why, you know, but that doesn't mean I still don't use organic methods. I personally, I'm, my personal belief is that farming of the future is going to take the best of conventional and the best of organic and make some type of weird hybrid to where you have scale efficiency, but also, you know, uh, a better product. Um, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, because organic scales now, you can't look at some of these guys out there that, you know, farming 40,000 acres, 20,000 acres, you know, somebody like a Cal organic, you know, Grimway, those guys, Bullhouse are putting big acres, Taylor. I mean, it's out there to scale now. The problem is, is again, it goes, I think it has so much to do with the lack of value, right? Consumers. right well, and that's true. I mean, the, 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 I, I, I'm on the affordable side. So it's hard mm -hmm. for me. If I go to a farmer's market, I don't really, if, if it's a farmer's, farmer's market in Carmel, Indiana, which is a high-end area, I mean, almost nice. they're charging $5 a pound for tomatoes. Mm -hmm. what, I, what, what I do kind of get upset is when they set up a farmer's market in the middle of a food desert in a crime-ridden area where everyone is below the poverty line, and one in seven kids don't know where their next meal is coming from, they yeah. set up a farmer's market selling at that same price point and then say... You know, nobody wants to buy it. Yeah, go go compete. You know, you buy buy you know one pound of tomatoes for five bucks or three bags of chips from the gas station for five bucks. Which one's going to feed your kids? Yeah. So you know that that that's that's a difficult one for me. But I think I if agree. we get more people involved, <laughs> yeah. you know, we can we we can solve that issue. Well, I think it's about awareness, right? I think it's about these conversations. I think it's about pointing out, you know, which is why I wanted you to come on. It's about pointing out what you're talking about, what you're doing, you know, to the audience that I've created. And it's no different than the things that we do at our platform here, whether we're talking to people at the school levels that are scratch cooking for kids and what it's done. I mean, because you can see the results, better attendance. There's, you know, what amazes me is that these kids are sitting at the lunch table at school eating. They're not grabbing the pizza and running out the door to go play. They're actually sitting there longer conversing with their peers. Right. So we can already see what we're doing from a positive standpoint. And you're They're right. Being human beings. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, exactly. So <laughs> the power of food is amazing. And to, to your point, working in the inner cities, working with these kids, you know, I, I love to see some of the things that are happening in ag technology where you're putting, you know, food close, you're putting food in the Bronx, you're putting food in, you know, in, in West side, Baltimore, you're putting food in some of the South side, you know, Boston, whatever it is, you're putting food in neighborhoods that have no idea to your point that, you know, watermelon doesn't grow on a tree. And I'm hoping that that revolution evolution starts to trickle down to this next generation of kids because we got to start back there. We, you know, we think you and I, you know, you and I are going to keep the conversations rolling. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be these kids are going to solve these problems for us. And we have to get these kids educated on what we need to do. And again, 
let's not go be mother nature. Let's work with mother nature and come to a solution that's going to feed our planet, stop food insecurity. Because quite frankly, and I mean, I say this all the time, a nation that is food insecure is it's no different than not having enough guns and bullets. It's right. just it's actually worse in so many ways. Yeah, it's easier to beat the enemy if they don't have the strength to pull the trigger. Well, you got that. You know, I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's so talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you think about solutions to stuff. I mean, wave, you know, give me your magic wand moment right now. I mean, give me some solutions that you would like to see ag and Briggs. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. At Produce Careers, we are in the people business. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. As your trusted executive search firm for the fresh produce, food processing, and agribusiness industries, we focus on outcomes. With over 80 years of combined industry expertise with our global networks, we have the tools and the skills to identify top talent for your organization's strategic hiring needs. Our relationship-driven approach and proven recruitment process deliver the right candidates at the right time. At Produce Careers, we know each hire is an investment. Whether you're looking for the perfect candidate or searching for your next challenge, call or email us today and let us partner with you. Number one, I'd like to see farmers come together more. Um, I don't like... I'm just one of these guys that if you want to grow organic, then I want to support you doing that. If you're a conventional grower, I want to support you doing that. Um, at the end of the day, an organic farmer and a conventional farmer have more in common than they do that they're different in the sense of that they're dealing with the elements. They're dealing with, you know, depending on what type of farmer they are, they're dealing with consumers that are, you know, picky or demanding or dealing with contracts that, that are hard to fulfill or dealing with contracts going overseas. Um, you know, that, that to me is, is once agriculture has a unified voice um, to the public, it, 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 it can help. I see a lot of, I'll see, you know, ag advocates that will just absolutely rip on organic. But then I'll mm-hmm. see like an organic ag advocate just absolutely rip on conventional. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty tribal. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, you know, the organic guy, the organic consumer, the organic producers, you know, they believe real hard in what they do. Look, I've made my living doing it. So, I mean, I've walked that walk right. every day. Right. And I get it. But to your point, as I said earlier, you know, Hey, let's start with the apple. Let's get to the organic one. You know, yeah. I, I, I think that we, again, we've got to have to look at things that better the planet, look at things that are, you know, what are the long-term health? There's a lot of things we get into and I'm not going to, peel back that onion and dissect because I think we're on the same wavelength because it's really about increasing consumption, bottom line issue, right? Education and consumption. Those are such important things. And, you know, where the planet takes us, you know, where where mother nature decides to go, we don't have a choice. Right. Well, and when you say, when you say magic wand, I've been in the food insecurity space intensively for the last six years. And what shocks people is when they ask me, you know, why can't these people get food? Hunger in the United now hunger, like I've been to other countries and I've seen hunger. Yeah. And hunger is hunger. Like that person is starving. But the yeah. funny thing is, like a good friend of mine is a doctor and he's from India. And he said it's interesting to him that poor people in India that miss meals and, and are food insecure still predominantly die of old age. Hmm. 
poor people in the United States, they don't die of old age. They die of heart disease. They die of Correct. diabetes. They die of obesity. Hunger in the United States is a symptom. It is not an actual cause. And whether that symptom is, you know, nine times out of 10, when we're dealing with the truly, they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Right. They're also dealing with drug addiction. Uh, drug addiction, mental health sure. issues. And our country has no, I mean, we do nothing for that. You know, we not, not really. I mean, we're not doing it the way, and a, granted, we're a big country, but, you know, being a, a political person, I think that if everybody just said, I'm going to help one of my neighbors, you know, that would make a huge impact. Um, 100%. You know, I, I had a, I had a, a girl that, that told me that she didn't want to support our farm because I'm not, I'm not the only person at the farm, you know, I might be the face of it, but right. you know, our farm's faith-based. And she said, if it was up to her, she would get rid of every church, every faith-based organization that is out there. She would take away their 501c3 status and tell them they can't do this. Anymore. And the funny thing is, is one of our consultants who worked for, uh, what is the name? They're, they're not a faith-based group. They're just a gigantic, uh, oh, you know, he, he worked for United Way. He was like their vice president in Washington, D.C. Right. And he told her, he said, if we did that tomorrow, the burden on our social system in the United States would bring the country down. Oh, yeah. Without because a doubt. they actually do that much work. So, oh, yeah. Well, my question is, what's the alternative, right? So if you want to get rid of all of it, how do you, how do you, how would you fill the void that you've just created by latching onto this stuff? Look, bottom line, people, people are inspired to do things, whether it's from their church, whether it's from their neighborhood, whether it's from school, whether it's from right. their parents, it doesn't, maybe they read a book, you know, maybe they got hit by lightning and now they have an epiphany who knows. Right. But if we don't stay inspired, right. If we don't continue to move the ball down the field, come up with the alternative, right? That's what I always say. It's like, okay, what's the alternative here? Give me, give me the, I got it here. We're, we're running it down and out. Tell me how we're going to do a button. Hook right. that's well, look, I'm totally cool with it. And in all fairness, she had, I, I guess, a place that we were providing food to prior to them letting people have food. They made them come in, sit down and listen to a sermon, and then they would provide them food. And she made me aware of that. And I let them know that if that's how they work, we wouldn't provide food to them either. We, you know, you need to give people food, whether they want your sermon or not. And, and I had to explain to her, I said, just remember, you know, when Jesus, when he, when he fed all those folks, he fed them first, then he did the preaching and whoever decided they wanted to stay, they stayed. But other than that, I said, they're not following. Don't use them as an example because right. you brought that to light and we, we got rid of them. So yeah, well, it was just, there's so many opinions in this world of how we should be feeding people, you know, should, you know, I, I, I've had people say that cooking classes, cooking classes, I didn't, I was like, why, why do you want to keep teaching cooking classes? But then once we kind of got out and in there, we realized, do you know how many people don't know how to cook anymore? Oh, tons. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you hand somebody a zucchini and they just look at it and go, how do I, what do I do? You know, right. yeah, you know but, it that, goes, but it, that flips back to what you just said earlier about the fact that here in this country, it's diabetes, it's health disease, it's 
you know, it's, 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 it's cancer. It's all these different things that are striking us down as a nation. And so much of it ties back into what we're putting in our bodies from a food choice, right? If you're eating zucchini, if you're coming up, you know, you're putting the right things into the system, which is why I'm so hip about trying to go downstream to these schools. I think it changes everything because if the food becomes better, the health becomes better. If the food becomes better, the climate perhaps, you know, can become better. The environment, all these different things that can happen if we start to invest back in our school or back into our food system and put that value back into it. I, you know, I, to yeah. me, I think it's it's one of the biggest lifts we have to do as a country. And I am. I'm all about affordable. I want I want affordable quality food. But at the same time, yeah. I think it's criminal. Criminal is the wrong word, but I think it's just awful that you can buy a can of Coke or a can of Pepsi or a big bottle of Mountain Dew for cheaper than you can buy one Red Bell Pepper. Yeah, that's not okay. Because no. You know, people, some people are forced to spend based on what they have. And the fact that, and, and you look at how much food we waste. I mean, For sure. and I'm guilty of it. I, as a, as a, when we were contract growers, we didn't even mess around with what we considered a number three or number four tomato. We just, they went into the harvest gone. Yep. and we just lost them and, and they got plowed under. And that's, that's not okay. And that's why we, when we went to this model, we would actually that were that those were the tomatoes we would sell as canners or what people wanted to process because we wanted the the number ones and the number twos to go to to the people we were trying to serve. Yeah. So Food, here you go. I, I'll give you one you can put in your back pocket. Food waste in this country is the equivalent of every single American, all 330 million of us plus, old, young, all of them, throwing away 650 small to medium-sized apples each. Yeah, that's the food waste problem in this country. And yeah, that's I, amazing. That's an amazing I, stat. I don't doubt it. And do you know what the driver of that is? It's the it's the that's the grocery industry. The grocery industry is they're the ones who I mean, this is the thing. I've had people say they think that like a fresh market tomato farm like mine. I mean, they, in their minds, they're like, well, the tomatoes that are cracked or not that don't make the cut, you send those to make, get ketchup made out of i mean they believe that i'm like no we don't we throw them away and they're like why it's like well who's going to take them you know there was a time in indiana that almost every county had a cannery there was Mm -hmm. a cannery those are now there i think there's two canneries in the state of indiana left i mean it's just it's just they just went away you know yeah i mean well look it's all about getting food from point A to point B, right? And it's food miles. And it's all of that is part of that equation. And it's about rot. It's about decay. It's about consumers have expectations and they don't want to see fruit flies in the grocery store. I mean, I get all of it, right? I mean, I've lived it for a long, long time. I understand it. But your point is incredibly valid. It's like, what do we do with the excess? What do we, how does that work, right? And and and, can, and the hard part is too, for a farmer, is that you put the stuff out in the ethos, right? You, you pick your number ones, you do whatever it is, you get the stuff out there and then you've got to figure out how can you afford for the labor for this, right? Because number one stuff isn't paying for picking up the pieces on the backside, right? It's a whole nother lift financially you have to deal with. So it does become a bit of a challenge in how we're going to do it. But your point's valid. There's a lot of food, you know, that can find a different runway. It's But the problem is, is that until we start valuing the food properly, it ain't, it, there ain't no trickle. There ain't no penny. There ain't no extra. And we used to. Yeah, I agree. Time we did value that food. I mean, there was nothing wasted. I mean, I know oh. from here, my grandmother, 
you know, when they slaughter a cow, they every part of it, you know, I mean, every part. Yeah, every part. And now it's, you know, and I'm guilty of that. I mean, I eat the ribeye in the New York strip and the hamburger. That's what I eat, you know, and that's, but we've been conditioned that way, I feel like. And that's, we, we need to get back to where we're using even more. We, I actually sold a, a, a cow to an Ethiopian woman. And she wanted to make sure that they got the skin. And I was like, the skin? What do you do? Are you making it out of leather? They eat the skin. Yeah. They eat everything. I mean, she wanted, she wanted as much as the, the processor would give her on. I was like, well, talk to the processor. I'm sure he'll give you everything. Whatever you want, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, no, look, again, it's, it's a different time. But, you know, I, I think about what pops into my mind is the 99 cent menu through some drive through Yep. At some point as a country, we have to sit back. We have to all constantly at one time. We all just thought about one time. It's like, huh, how can that be only worth 99 cents? Right. And then how does that, right? How does it, because it, it, you know, they didn't, it's not being grown in the back room, right? It came from someplace through some process and everybody's making money at 99 cents. That's where I get into this thing about that. That's where I get into this concern about we're going to continue down this trail of unhealthiness because. We're not having these, you know, we're not asking, we're buying it for 99 cents. I'm done. I get the economy. Don't want to go down that trail. I get it. People, you know, poverty, I get all that, but we're not helping anybody when we don't value our food system. Well, Period. I mean, I, I often said, what if every fast food restaurant just, if they, some, and, and again, the logistics, so one guy, I worked in logistics. So, you know, I owned my own trucking company. I understand logistics. Yeah. It wouldn't be super hard compared to some of the things that we try in this country is like every fast food place. They all, they all put tomatoes and lettuce on their, on their sandwiches. Yeah. Why not wherever your cluster of stores is buy from farmers within a hundred miles of those stores. Yeah. I think that might be changing a little bit when you take a look at what ag tech's doing for retail. I think you're going to start to see greenhouses and things popping up next to grocery distribution centers. Now I would love that. I think it's I think it's inevitable that's what's going to happen. As, now, are you going to have you know fifty acres of cherry trees next to somebody? No, but are you going to do tomatoes and berries and things? I think it'll get there as technology advances. I, I think it, as long as we keep valued on those commodities, you know, because it's a big nut to spend to build a greenhouse and try to get it to scale. There's no two ways about right. it. Um, so I think that that's a possibility of way things may go in the future. I mean, I think you're seeing a little bit of it now. You're seeing Walmart invested in the greenhouses. You're seeing you know, other people getting invested, Costco's invested in the, in the greenhouse space, trying to put stuff closer. We'll see where it goes. We'll see if it, you know, what conversation, I mean, I think to me, I think it's exciting to at least have that potential to, to, to your point, to put stuff that's going to make, you know, again, hopefully it drives awareness and drives value and gets people thinking a little bit beyond, above and beyond. And again, puts that value back into the food supply. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's great. Tell me, give me something. I'm going to give you another crystal. I'm going to give crystal ball. I'm going to give you another magic wand. We're not doing crystal balls on the show. We're doing that, baby. We'd be in Vegas making money. We're doing, <laughs> we're doing the magic wand. If you, you know, give me some advice that you would give to somebody today, a young farmer coming up, somebody, some youth, somebody that's at the farming, what's something that you, you know, that you kind of lean into? Um, I would tell them that they should listen to old farmers. Like the, the older the farmer, the more you, when he says something, you should pay attention. Um, old farmers have saved my, my butt so many times. It's not even funny. Uh, I have my father-in-law 
as one of those guys that I've, I've listened to, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of guys I see that get into it, guys and gals that want to be the biggest or want to have this or that, you know, farming to me, what makes it so awesome is it's season after season of being schooled on how to produce from the ground. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, I've seen new farmers make mistakes and just they're ready to throw their hands up in the air, yeah. you know, tell them, you know, like Roy Rogers said, if you're not an optimist, don't be a farmer, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, just, just, just take that as a learning, you know, learn from every mistake. Don't, don't think that that's a failure because it's not a failure. It's, you know, mistakes are never failures. They're just a new, especially in farming. I know a lot of people will say, well, that can apply to anything. Well, it needs to be a golden rule in agriculture. If, if, if you see a mistake happen, then you better write it down and figure out what you did wrong. Wrong. That yeah. way you don't, you don't, you either don't repeat that or you, you learn yeah. from it, do it better. So, and I'd also tell them that to find people that help them on their farm, you know, this is not trying to sound cliche, but I've never not paid well to my farmland, um, especially the guys who know what they're doing. Because in agriculture, especially agriculture, especially produce production, yeah. if I have a lot of smart guys that know what they're doing, that are out there working every day, taking care of the little things, I don't ever have big problems to take care of. Right. You know, and, and trucking, we used to have a saying when it came to safety and maintenance of, you know, take care of the little things and the big things take care of themselves. It's the yeah. same way. Now. That's yeah. why you surround yourself with people that, that, that are passionate about it and really would like to see it go. And I tell them, 100%. this isn't a job. It's a lifestyle. Agriculture is a lifestyle. So I agree with you. You know, look, farmers today in, in a lot of ways, we're like our we're like the gunslingers of the 1800s, man. Right? They're the they're the true bash of the wild wild west. They're risk takers. They're gamblers. They're riverboat captains. They're all kinds of that stuff. They're, you know, they're dealing they're dealing you know cards all the time, and and hopefully you know they get the right ones and they keep themselves going. But it is a very very risky business. It's not at all for the faint of heart. That is for sure. Oh, no, <laughs> no. And this is the other thing. If you're going to go into scaled agriculture, yeah, you are new to it. You've got to have some type of mentor. Agriculture is the seventh most dangerous job on the planet. You know, yeah. if you're working with equipment or you're working with big livestock, you know, I have, I've, I've been lucky a few times. Uh, I've spent some time in an emergency room. My, my middle son has been in the emergency room three times, you know, over farm accidents that were pretty significant. Uh, I've lost a few friends yeah. to, to, to farming accidents. So yeah, it's, it's legit. They, they need to take that serious and understand what they're, they're going into. Yeah, but so, again, it goes, I think it goes back to the kind of the theme of this whole thing. It's like starting to value food and understanding that right risk reward, all of it. It's all a part of that narrative. I think it's incredibly well, important. Like I, I like to tell people this so that they understand how serious we are. There was a, yeah. a that they decided they wanted to get into cattle. They were constantly asking me and some other farmers questions. They had two dairy cows. That's all they had. 
which, you know, that's awesome that they had them. They weren't milking mm-hmm. them. They wanted, they just wanted the cattle for, they'd eventually want to use cows, Rumo's cattles for beef. And they went to a livestock auction and they bought a, they had bought a, uh, a bull <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, I've, I've had Angus bulls. I've had uh, Hereford bulls. They're not super, I mean, you got to watch yourself around them, but they're not ultra aggressive, right. but they had actually bought a uh, Guernsey bull. And he wasn't gigantic. He was about 1,500 pounds, but he was 1,500 pounds of pure S- muscle fight <laughs> and hated everybody. And they, they, Basically, the guy from the auction backed the trailer up, let the bull into their pasture, and then left. And they couldn't get in there without him coming in. And they said, you know, what do we do to calm him down? And I'm like, he's a bull. I don't know that you want him calm. I don't know what, what, what it is you're trying to accomplish, but you could have called a vet and had both those cows AI'd, and you didn't have to worry about having a bull getting killed. And then having a <laughs> to feed that you're never you have two cows you have two you're <laughs> never your money back on that and not to mention they i think they paid a dollar 85 a pound for this bull that you know i wish i, I would have sold him a bull for that much i mean <laughs> it was just but but the mere fact that they didn't understand stand right danger that they were putting themselves in yeah, their kids in, you know that kind of thing so yeah, I love it. You have a mentor. That's the biggest thing. If you're well, new, to- I think I think that's you know I think every I think that's important in any part aspect of life. Having people that you can lean on, having people you can talk to, having people be a part of that, you know, inspiring somebody, being a mentor. That's just you know, and being a mentor just means being a friend. Yeah, not really a much fancier title than that. It's just a fancy way of saying that. But we do need them, and it's incredibly and important. They won't. I mean, good ones. They're not going to judge you for the mistake. They're just they'll probably tell you how they made the same mistake and what they did to correct it. You know, because yeah. that's all a mentor is actually doing. Oh yeah, yeah I remember when I did that. This is what I did to fix it. So yeah, it's incredible. I, you know, I, I've had the good fortune of being around a lot of old timers in the ag space, and I got to tell you, it is a different demeanor. It is a different perspective on life. They look at the sun different. They look at the clouds different. They just and they're a trip to be around. But to your point, they are a wealth of knowledge. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I always say those guys up there, they've forgotten more stuff than the young farmer knows today. And they are, you're right. You, you need them in all aspects. You need mentors in your life, but farming especially. So as we wind down a little bit, tell me what's up, what's going on? What's next for you guys? What's next for the punk rock farmer? I mean, you got your media thing, you got, yeah, you're, helping, so, you're helping people get on their feet. You're feeding people that are hungry. I mean, what, I mean, you know, what are you doing on a Tuesday for a couple hours? You get so a chance I, to rest? I have my first uh, feature link documentary that I helped produce. Uh, I'm told I'm the filmmaker <laughs> um, and uh, it'll be on Amazon and in, in 2023. Uh, and it's, it's actually about dog breeding, which is weird. It was, I was asked to come in. I was actually asked to come and speak with a group of dog breeders and I was like, okay, I'm gonna, it's going to be kind of weird, but okay, if they want me to speak, if they're paying me, I'll do it, you know? Right. And I got there and it, 90% of the crowd was Amish. And I was like, oh, great. I'm, I'm speaking to a bunch of puppy mill operators, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And I was, I, the guy who had set it up for me, I like pulled him aside and said, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not a celebrity by any means, but I'm kind of known and I speak, I don't want to be associated with these people. Right. And he's like, I brought you here because you're the only guy that I know if I, sh- if we pull back the veil on this and let you see it, that you might do something about it. So I was speaking to this one Amish guy, pretty, I mean, very cool guy. And, uh, I said, well, I mean, you know, you guys do puppy mills. I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I don't agree with those. He's like, well, I'd like you to come look at my kennel where, where I raise my dogs. And if you think it's a puppy mill, then, you know, great. But I, I'd like to invite you to come and look at it. So a bunch of his friends also said, we want you to come and look at our kennels. You know, tell us if we're puppy mills because we don't think we are. And I got to this first kennel and I was just like, what in the world? This is not, this is not what I've been seeing in the media. This is completely right. different. Right. These dogs socialized and happy. And <laughs> they're, 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 they're not gigantic barns full of barking dogs. They're right, right, right. smaller. And the more and more I dug into it, the more I see that these, these breeders that, you know, and don't get me wrong, there are Amish breeders, and they'll be the first to point them out to you that are running puppy mills, but it's not these guys. And right. one of them, <laughs> we're touring his kennel, and I'm just like, this is nicer than my house, you know? And he had just sold a dog to Jennifer Lopez because his dog, the type of dog he had was, I guess it's was so in demand. Uh, and Trust me, her people checked them out to make sure who they were. Oh, I'm sure. So then I figured out the more I got into this world of dog breeding, I said, so there's a whole group of breeders over here that are recommended by one of the best vet schools in the world. They're working with them every day. The dogs are happy, healthy, wonderful dogs. And then there's this group of breeders over here that are running puppies. And they're bad. But the problem is the media is putting them all together. All together, right. And especially with the Amish, when not all the Amish are like that. And then we find out when we actually do these studies on these puppy mills and figure out where they're at. Well, they're mostly out west. When you get in your Missouri's, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and North Texas. Um, and none of those folks are Amish that are doing it. They're all right. more rural people like me. And right. then I see that there's animal rights orgs that are making millions of dollars a year vilifying these good Amish breeders while they're doing nothing about the bad English breeders, the English is what the Amish call, but nothing about these breeders. And then there's big corporations that are selling the dogs or doing or selling products for the dogs that are making money. And in the middle is a group of breeders that have a lot of integrity, that take a lot of pride in, 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 in raising these animals that do not look them like livestock, but actual million animals and nobody's telling their story. So that'll be cool. So that's what you did. Henry to tell just their story. We're not defending breeders. We're not, we're all we're doing is we want people to see that not everything that you see in the media is correct. Right. And then after that, we have a 30 minute, uh, about 12, 30 minute shows coming Mm -hmm. out about just going where I go and visit different farms and, and we put that on Amazon as well. I like it. 
you're you're going you're going to be a, you're going to be at the farming Kardashian. You're on your way. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> I think it's great, dude. Well, look, you know, I I love the fact that you're expanding, being able to do that, and I think what's great about it too is getting the message out there, right? Driving awareness, increasing consumption, talking about these things, getting these subject matter, especially from the farm side of it about what's going on and what's important out there for people to better understand. Because as we've touched on in this, you know, in our conversation, there's so much bullshit out there. There's so much noise in the background, constantly chattering in our ears. We've got to start taking a deeper dive. And when, especially when it comes to our food and understanding what's real and what's important. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it's, how, it's how we're going to win the day. Well, this is great, man. I appreciate you hanging with me. Yeah. I, it's been awesome. It really has. <laughs> it's been a fun chat. I still had a whole bunch more to ask you, but I'm going to now, I'm just like, hey, you got to come back. I want, come back. Let's, let's do another one. Come back. Let's talk some more stuff. I want an update on what you're doing and where things are at. I think it's, you know, I, I think it's oh, great. So let's plan on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. All right. I appreciate it. Everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Remember what I say it all the time. Go inspire somebody. It's incredibly important. If the punk run farmer has to put a little energy to inspire you, I don't know what to do. Do we send you, you know, a monster? I I don't even know what to do to help you guys out, but we've got to find inspiration and food needs to be that. And so take advantage of this time, reflect on what we talked about, get some opinions for yourself, look a little harder, get involved, find out what you could do at your schools, find out what you could do locally, find out what your urban farms are like, what's going on in your community, where's your farmer's market, get involved with food. It's how we're going to change this planet for the better. Change our food, plant a whole shitload of trees. I'm telling you, we're going to be in good shape if we don't do all that. Thanks for being here. Take care of everybody. We'll see you soon.